Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here, as always, with Kara Brodergam from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. Uh, hopefully, looking for a glitch-free show this morning. My mouse died, Windows is doing an update, all kinds of havoc and craziness going on over here. So I'm literally going to operate the show on a touchscreen. Uh, and we'll see how fun uh, that is this morning. But just a reminder, as always, if you're watching us on one of the many Facebook pages that we are broadcasting on, Canadian Camping and RV Council, Insider Perks, a uh, number of other different ones, feel free to comment and we can bring those on, put you on the show. Uh, we can pull it into a feed here and involve you guys if you have questions for Kathleen, our guest this morning, as always. Uh, and then we are also on a podcast on Spotify, Google, all those kinds of places so you can listen later if you would like to as well. So today uh, we have Kathleen Walsh from Advanced Outdoor Solutions. I'm going to let her introduce herself in a second. We're really going to focus on management groups as a whole, uh, third-party management groups, what they are, why you might want one at your park or not want one, uh, and, and just kind of go from there and see if we can fill up an hour. Kathleen says she won't have a problem at all doing it. Uh, <laughs> no. I'm confident in her, so... Uh, maybe we'll just leave the show early, Kara, and let Kathleen do it. Yeah, we probably could. Yeah, that's okay. I'm happy, excited to hear hear uh, what she has to say today, for sure. Kathleen, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and your, a little bit of your background first. Sure, happy to. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm always excited to join you guys and, and talk about what's happening in the industry. Uh, a little bit about me and Advanced Outdoor Solutions. I always like to say that I was in outdoor hospitality before it became the cool place for the cool kids um, because I've been in it for about 20 years now. I started with my first park in 2003. So in 2023, it will be 20 years. And it has gone through um, astronomical changes since I first started. But the first part of my career in outdoor hospitality, I was the chief financial officer for a developer and we developed Marriott's and outdoor hospitality resorts. Okay. So I learned early on how to take hotel type practices and hotel type thinking into the outdoor space. And when my boss and mentor retired or started cutting back 10 years ago, I knew it was time for me to launch my own company. And so 10 years ago, we launched Advanced Outdoor Solutions, and we have been a full-service um, third-party management company in this space for quite a few years, and uh, we're thrilled to bring our services to our clients, and uh, it's just expanding rapidly, as, as you both know. Yeah, so I was going to ask, oh, sorry, Brian, I apologize. Oh, um, do you, are you nationwide, coast-to-coast -coast in the States, Kathleen? Do you have we are. Yes, and we're actually expanding into, um, we've had a lot of discussions lately with Canadian clients as well as Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Uh, so we're excited to be expanding outside the U.S. and also really looking forward to traveling to Europe because I've had many European clients reach out, um, particularly um, in the glamping world, and would like us to come present there. So um, yes, we are, uh, we're expanding everywhere, and it's quite exciting for our team. I bet. Awesome. That's great. So let's start here with the basics, right? Because we do have an hour to cover. We don't want to take it too far or too fast. Uh, I've seen this conversation a little bit in Mark Kep's Facebook group, a couple other places where people have just literally asked the most basic question there is, right? What is a third-party management company? Sure. Yeah. Happy to address that. A third-party management company is a company that will come in and operate your park for you. And by that, I mean at least for advanced outdoor, 
the employees are advanced outdoor employees. They are not your employees. They are on our payroll. They are on our benefit package, which is huge in the outdoor space. Mm-hmm. And they are um, answer to us. They are um, privy to our training, our policies and procedures, our standard operating procedure guidelines. So when you hire advanced outdoor, you're really hiring a third party to come in and manage all facets of your park. And we do everything in-house. So technology, marketing, employees, rate and revenue management, one of the most important um, features we provide for our clients. And we do the full accounting as well. The only accounting we don't do is your end of year tax filings, everything else we handle in-house. Awesome. So I know, uh, Kathleen, you you gave uh, delivered the revenue management session at the Canadian Outdoor Hospitality Conference and Expo, and I'm still getting uh, feedback that 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 session was so fabulous. Uh, our the attendees have been able to uh, kind of go back now and rewatch and uh, consume that stuff again. So I wanted to thank you for uh, that amazing session. I hope. Um, like we were talking about before the show started, when we get back to in-person stuff, maybe we can finally meet face-to-face and uh, hear more more in, in a session like that. I would love that because that really, again, I think is one of the most important functions that we provide to our clients. Um, this industry, um, love it or hate it, is probably about 20 years behind the hotel industry when it comes to managing rate and revenue. And so I will have parks that will say to me, oh, yes, I have a revenue management program. I charge more on the weekends and I have holiday rates. That is such a small granular part of what it means to manage your revenue. Our revenue managers, and we have three full time. Our revenue managers do nothing but look at rate, occupancy, pickup, and demand all day, every day. And if you're going to manage rate and revenue successfully, that's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, revenue management, for sure. I think I I appreciate Brian wanting to take this simple. So I guess as an ex-camp owner, I would like to know if I'm considering this as an operator, what are my kind of first steps, what are your, what are your expectations from a new client coming on to, to onboard and get things rolling and started? That's a great question. And I can tell you who we are a good fit for and who we are not a good fit for. So yeah, yeah, there are some clients that we're, we're not going to be a good fit for you because you're still heavily involved in your property. So Mm -hmm. for, for people who just want maybe one or two services, maybe marketing and technology. You really aren't looking for a full third-party management company. You're looking for marketing and technology solutions. And those are things that we can point you in the right direction for those. We can refer you to some people. We are really for the investors. You want to buy an asset. You want to treat it as if it's a stock and you want to put it in your portfolio and you want it to produce a return on your investment. 
that is really our sweet spot and that's the ownership groups that we're most successful with um, they buy it they give it to us they walk away and they collect dividends at the end of each month um, mm -hmm. and they let us do our thing and we let them do theirs and that for us is our sweet spot and it's the reason why really advanced outdoor works with more passive investors in the space because mm -hmm. we just take it from there and they draw a check once a month and everybody's happy. It's great. So when you get these investors that come to you and ask, you know, whether it's you or another third party management company, right? Is there a level of expectation from their side as to what that ROI is? There is because I have to create the performa. It's one of the first things that I do out of the gate. Again, I was a chief financial officer for 20 years. If I could sit and work on accounting and numbers all day, I would be the happiest girl in the world because I still love numbers. I still love driving revenue, figuring out how to make a park more profitable. So we set the expectations for ourselves right out of the gate. We have an investor come, they might have historical financials to share with us on a park that they might be purchasing. As you guys know, there, there might not be anything. Financials mm -hmm. are a tough thing to come by in this industry. Mm -hmm. We then create a performa either based off historical and then what we add to the equation, or if there not, aren't historical financials, we, create the performers of what they can expect. And then we're in the hot seat to produce. Um, sure. These are investors, they want an ROI, and we need to be able to produce that return on their investment or um, they're not gonna be very happy. And, and the other thing we do, say you're in a month where for whatever reason, COVID or code regulations, or you could only have 50% occupancy. If we're not reaching our max revenue that we projected, then we very quickly start focusing on expenses so that at the end of the day, your net operating income is what we projected. So we aggressively work on both sides of that to make sure that we try to hit the NOI that's been projected for you. And so um, COVID created a blip in a couple months. So we were maybe down a couple months, but we more than made up for that in the months to come so that at the end of the year, you were still really good on what we had projected for you. Awesome. So if I'm a if I'm a smaller like obviously we've covered investors right let's say I'm a smaller campground or an operator who has owned my park for 15 years and now is the time where I want to step back mm -hmm. uh, and I've in and it's not a wishy washy step back right like I actually want to do it I'm not just saying I want to do it mm -hmm. uh, then it, is it is it worth bringing on a team like you or a third party absolutely manager yeah our smallest park is 54 sites okay. and. It's one of our biggest success stories. It's a single owner. It's his only park. Um, we brought him in um, to advanced outdoor early on in our years. And that park was losing, I believe $126,000 a year. It was bleeding, bleeding heavily. And it was what we call a sick park with a sick culture. And he knew it. The owner was smart enough to know that. And he knew that he lived nine hours away. He had another company that had nothing to do with hospitality and he needed to focus on that he brought us in and now that park is grossing about half a million a year and returning about 230 to the bottom line so we did an amazing turnaround at a 54 site park by working with a willing owner 
who was letting us do our thing and turn the park around. And that is still, I get in trouble saying this because I have so many clients in so many parks, but it's still one of my favorite parks because it's one of our biggest success stories. Sure. I imagine it uh, requires this kind of basic level of just like trust and ability to uh, let go of the reins, which I think can be tough. I'll say as a former owner, like it's, there's so much like of your heart and soul sometimes invested in that stuff. It can be so hard to step back, but uh, those are fabulous testimonials for sure. I, um, I think um, we're seeing, you know, the need for succession planning in unique ways these days as I have so many operators who would love to step back or whatever, and maybe don't have, you know, kids or anybody who's interested in, in, taking things over or, or maybe capable. Um, so I think this is such a great op option and, and potential solution if you maybe aren't ready to sell or, or what, what have you. You know, Kara, that's a very interesting um, uh, thought you just brought up because so many of the parks that we've taken on the past several years, the owners fully expected that the children would be taking over. And mm -hmm. in the meantime, the children have become doctors or dentists or chefs or mm -hmm. have married and moved away. And, and it's just not in the kids' plans. And so <laughs> the parents are wondering, what do I do? I'm, I'm exhausted. And I thought I could hand it to Junior and Junior saying, I don't want it. And, and what is our option? And so a third party management company is a great option for owners who truly do want to step back and, and sort of take their life back. Mm -hmm. So what are some, what are some things that impact this from a, an expectation standpoint, right? I'm an investor, I'm a hedge fund, I'm a owner who wants to step back, whatever. Uh, walk us through some of the things like from a holistic, like not even a third party management, but from a what impacts my future growth potential, my uh, ability to have a set expectation of an ROI from Kathleen or myself, even mm -hmm. if I'm just doing it. What are some things that go into that? I'm assuming locations one and I, I just want you to talk instead of me, though. Sure. There's a couple of things that um, we have to have some hard conversations often in the beginning because. Uh, one of my, I have a task force regional that I send around to evaluate parks once the client has purchased them. And she, her job is to, to have that hard conversation with the clients and let them know, here's what we need from you in order to make this a successful park. Oftentimes it means capital expenditures, CapEx dollars, Be, especially if it's a client who likes buying distressed assets. So they want to buy a park that's underperforming and they want us to work our magic. But if we don't have doors on the bathhouses or we don't have Wi-Fi in the park, we can't um, work our magic if we don't have the basics that are needed to get your return where it needs to be. So often the first difficult conversation we have with clients um, revolves around capital dollars that they need to spend. Mm -hmm. And some get it. Some come to us with the CapEx budgets and just say, hey, is this good? Others are like, oh, well, I mean, do I really need a working bathhouse? Because rigs have their own. I'm like, yeah, you do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah, right, you do. And you know where I see that the most? Um, I have a lot of clients who are coming out of the mobile home space. Mm -hmm. So uh, having to have park-wide Wi-Fi 
that's foreign to them because in the MH space, everyone has their own their own Wi-Fi. Having to have um, bathhouses because they assumed that RVers just use their own bathroom. And I'm like, no, they really don't. If they have a nice bathhouse, they'll use that as opposed to their own space. So I think expectations around what has to be done on the CapEx side is is a pretty big conversation right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So assuming you like you have no problem investing the funds, right? Mm -hmm. so from the physical characteristics of the park itself, right? Where am I located? Uh, what's around me? What is the potential demand for the area? How, how do those things factor into all of this? Because obviously Advanced Outdoor and other third-party management companies have a lot of expertise in a lot of areas, but sometimes you can't, you have to work with what you have, right? Mm -hmm. so the first thing we do, Brian, is evaluate if you're hitting the market that you should be hitting. And yeah. I'll give you a good example without naming names. We took on a park in October that's about two hours outside of a major metropolitan area. It's located right on a river and it was chock full of seasonal guests mm -hmm. and it never should have been. There's mountains, there's hiking, there's boating, there's um, a, a, a world-class bike trail for mountain bikers all on the perimeter of this property, but it was chock full of seasonals because the seller said, quote unquote, I just want to check them in in April and check them out in October and I don't want to bother with it. So for us, we go in and we look at that park in October and we know right away, we have to take this park through a metamorphosis. We have to get it from what it is to where it needs to be it's probably going to take us a couple years to get it there, but we just opened in April of this year and we crushed revenue. Even my projections we crushed because we're starting the metamorphosis and we're mm -hmm. getting the higher average daily rate and our marketing is kicking into the transients. So sometimes it's, you have to turn a park on its head. Yeah, absolutely. It never should have been what it is basically. Yeah, it takes that fresh, those fresh eyes and that fresh perspective, oftentimes separated from that heart and soul stuff I was talking about earlier. We get so invested in almost tunnel vision sometimes. And, and so I personally really can imagine the benefit to having your team come in and, be, and, and just have that fresh perspective of the park. I, well, I and then we take the hits of, you know, we go in there and the seasonals are their sites are messy and cluttered mm -hmm. and what transient would want to stay there. Right. And so you as the owner, you don't have to be the bad guy. You can be right. the good cop. You let us be the bad cop. We put out the rules and regs. We enforce the policies. We say, hey, you know, there's a new culture here and we'd love for you to stay, but this is what your site has to look like. And you let us take those hits for you. And we really become a buffer so that the owner can still be the friend but we can be the money-making management company. Right. That's a big part of, of having a third-party management company. The other thing I think that's really important is the fact that the employees are our employees. Yeah. So they have to go through our training and we have pretty rigorous training for our GMs. We have GM training on a regular basis. It, we try to keep it fun, but we also tackle the heavy subjects. So for instance, Brian, I know you know Irene Jones from Marshall and Sterling. Yep. And a month ago, before our Northern Parks opened, we had a three-hour training with Irene on risk management. 
What do you do at your park to mitigate risk to prevent lawsuits from coming into your park this year? Our GMs mm -hmm. were all on it. They all engaged and they all have now the documentation that they need. That's critical going into a season. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it almost, this all almost makes too much sense. <laughs> I can't imagine why nobody does it or no, no, anybody doesn't do it. Um, so I think for me, I'm, I'm interested to hear based on how many clients you have, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, camp, campgrounds or camp, it's an interesting industry because they're, the business model can be so different from business to business. Are there a certain list of like fundamental characteristics that are, you see from park to park that are kind of requirements for you to, to take them on and what are they if so? Or is it just, we'll take anybody? <laughs> well, we won't take anyone. There, there are a couple fundamental requirements. You have to, if your park is distressed, it has health safety issues, it has code violations, um, it just needs things to get it up to just basic operating level, we will require the capital funds to do that. We will not run a subpar park. Um, we've had to put into our contract now that if you have, natural disasters that you will fix them. Um, we had a park last year that had a, uh, a horrible natural disaster and they refused to file an insurance claim. So we were left with a subpar product that we had to run for months and that we can't do that. That's not how we operate. So we require capital investment if needed. We require an owner who will white knuckle with us through the transition process. Um, because going back to my 54 site park in Florida, the beginning of April of that year, like half the park left because we had requirements now for what your site had to look like. We um, added some amenities, so we increased the rate. When half your park empties out and you don't know if AOS is going to replace those guests, you, you can panic mm -hmm. and he didn't. So we ask our owners, look, we know what we're doing, okay? We, we do know what we're doing. If you are not making money, we're not making money. We will replace these subpar guests with better guests, higher paying guests, if you just give us 60 days. It only took 30 before that park was filled with brand new guests paying almost double what the former guests were paying. So a commitment to change, a commitment to providing the capital that's needed, and then not micromanaging our processes. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. So I'm at Arvik in, I think it was Oklahoma City a couple years ago. And I had a client walk up to me at my booth and say, you're charging $65 a night for my sites. And I said, yes, we are. And he said, I'm not worth that. And I said, but your clients are paying it. The market, the market is telling you, you are worth that. And your revenue is up about $10,000. And he said, I don't care. I don't like the rate being that high. Mm -hmm. That's not my client. Right. And will not let us make them money. And you would be shocked at how often and that happens that's no, not our client no, i wouldn't kathleen i, I do marketing <laughs> for 250 campgrounds so no that's right <laughs> we were talking we were talking about that on the show like a, a couple weeks ago i had i have a client i think it was an open discussion we were talking about ads i have mm -hmm. a client right now in wisconsin who's returning for every thousand dollars in ads forty nine thousand dollars wow and 
like they won't let me spend more money on ads. And it, <laughs> but it's the same kind of like that's an exceptional example, right? But right. we average the return on investment on our ads between fifteen and twenty five x, and we can prove it with system like you know you you work sure. with your book. Uh, we 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 recommend new book and camp spot and a couple other people, uh, and so you can see that now in the reports. Like what you're driving is the return on investment, and so we frequently will give them those reports, and they won't let us like they don't want to spend more money, even though they can see it black and white. So. Yeah, see, I'm not having those conversations every week with clients. I would rather go bang my the wall than try to get people to understand we are crushing it for you. And then, and Brian, as you said, you're not talking out of emotion or you're not picking numbers off a tree. You have verifiable data. Yeah. And, right. Go ahead. Uh, you know, Joe and Sally get upset because you raise their rate $10 a night. I mean, so many owners capitulate and, and want you to lower rate. And that's just not how we're wired. We run it as a business. It needs to be run as a business. It's not a social club. It's not your extended family compound. It's a business. And that's why we do well with investor groups because they understand that. Yeah, well, and they can oftentimes, I think, separate that emotion stuff from from it a lot easier. Um, it's 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 an interesting dynamic to me having experienced it and, and living in a family who did it, you know, it was multi-generational and, you know, I watched grandparents be super passionate about it and really hang on to um, control as long as possible because, you know, they're just so invested in the emotional side. And, and yeah, I think often that starts to trump the, the financial stuff sometimes for them. Way too so often. Mm -hmm. And they'll say to me, I make enough money. I don't need any more money. Okay, let's say that's true. Then make the money and invest it back in amenities. Buy a new playground set, add a couple more sites. If you don't want to pocket it, put it back into the asset. Um, I get that, that, you know, you get to the point where you have enough. I feel like that with my life. I mean, I don't need anything, but um, there are things you can invest in in your park that would make it a better park for your gas. So if you don't want to make money for yourself, make money for your park. Or yeah. donate it to charity or do right. something with it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the things that we're really struggling with now and we're trying really hard to catch up is our investors are coming from Wall Street, State Street, um, a lot of heavy duty investors, and they want the kind of software and reporting that they have at their Wall Street firms. So mm -hmm. we're playing catch up in this industry, and I'm sure both of you know that. Our softwares are getting better, but they're not there yet. And so we're having to build reports ourselves that give them the actionable data that they need. And we're pushing our software providers really hard. We need this, we need that, we need this. But until they provide it, we're having to build a lot of the reporting capabilities that our clients are demanding because of the space and because of the type of people they are. And I get it, being a CFO, I'm a data wonk. Um, yeah. So we're pushing the softwares really hard to get to match client expectations. No, you're right. And it's not just reservation software. It's it's all the kind of data that, that nobody's ever wanted or asked for in this industry. It's part of the reason like we I spent years developing this stuff, right? Like we've got 
probably seven different reporting platforms that we can customize the heck out of everything I've had developers working on for years. Because mm -hmm. I, I didn't know that this was coming with hedge funds, but I knew eventually mindsets would shift and people would be demanding things that I knew were important that they just didn't care about at the time, right? And yeah, so absolutely. You, I mean, everything from ROAS on Google Ads that isn't easily to natively pull into, you know, analytics or something like that, um, to all kinds of different metrics. But it's the they just never wanted to see it before. Well, we're paying out of our pocket to do a lot of these things for our clients. We just rolled out a really nice dashboard um, for analytics um, across the board from our marketing analytics to average daily rate. We rolled it out. We found a couple broken links. We had to pull it back to fix those links. But um, the hotel industry has had these things forever. We don't have them. And so, you know, Brian, you have to really work at providing. We had a client ask the other day, what is the cost of customer acquisition in the outdoor hospitality industry? And I don't know that anyone's really looked into that or created that report. So we just went and did the math of well, what that costs. Isn't it different for every single, like you're, when I it look is. at cost acquisition, right? Like I'm in a Google ads campaign, it's different based on location and how much you're spending and who you're targeting, what your demographic, like, so. Yeah, there's, there's no a, easy answer. You're right, because right. if if I'm right outside of a national park, my cost of client acquisition is a lot lower than if I'm in Timbuktu, you know, Ohio, and I really have to market to get people there. So it is a broad question, but it's a question that you wouldn't have heard in this industry 10 years ago. And it's daily now that people are wanting this data. So the softwares are going to have to catch up. They really are. And I, and I uh, they don't like when I say that to them. They don't like when I put my foot on the gas, but they have no idea the people we're working with every day and the level of sophistication that's that's here now and going to keep coming in the years to come. Yeah, right. it's, a mind, it's a mindset shift, right? So like the cost per acquisition, like I have people, we start Google ad campaigns. I just keep going back to that as my default. We do a lot of the numbers across all different spectrums, right? But it's very easy to prove ROI, as you know, on Google ads, because you have your own in-house marketing people. Right. Um, but you're. But I've dealt with years of people like, I don't want to pay 2 to $4 a click. Why would I ever do that for somebody? But if you can all of a sudden show them that $4 click with Sally who turned into $323.87, they don't care anymore. Well, that's the nice thing about, I don't work with a lot of the softwares. We have our go-tos that we work with, but the one go-to that we work with, they do have the Google Tag Manager that you can yep. yeah. um, bury in their booking engine. So we can see the real dollars that have come from something that we've run. So those are really good reports because it doesn't, you stop throwing your money up in the air, hoping it lands in the right place and you have really targeted data on what works. Another thing that's coming that I, I kind of wanted to tease that I've been working on very diligently with some Silicon Valley people. I know there's a lot of, of uh, reservation systems that are trying to become an OTA. They're trying to become their own Airbnb or their own booking.com. Yeah. There's one coming that really is going to be that. It, it has good, hard, solid Silicon Valley money in it. Um, it came out of- or is here and is pivoting or have we heard of them before? Or? You, you probably have not heard of them. My guess is they're going to be launching within the next 60 days. Um, and the reason is they didn't want to have some of the same mistakes the others have had. When they launch, they wanna have inventory. 
some of the uh, complaints I've heard from some of the others is that, well, I use them, but the closest park was a hundred miles away. They yeah. don't want that pitfall. Yeah. So that's going to be another big part of management because it's, I have to explain to my clients, you need mm. to be on the OTAs. We are going to put you on the OTAs because yes, they take a commission, but say they take 15%, isn't 85% better than zero? And some <laughs> owners will say, no, I don't want to give up my 15%. Here's my devil's advocate to you, Kathleen. Like, I agree with you. I think they need to be on the OTAs. But I would also rather have 95% spending 5% on Google Ads and then take the 85% off whatever is left over from my inventory, right? So I think that, yes, you're right that they need to be on OTAs, but they need to be on OTAs with a sound marketing strategy behind them that's getting as much of that 100% or 95% as possible before. Like, we have clients we take on who are on Airbnb and killing it but they're not doing any ads and running traffic directly to their sites to avoid that commission. Oh, you're so. right, Brian. It is definitely not an all or nothing with OTAs. We constantly desire to drive traffic to the proprietary website and bypass the, um, the OTA. But there is a segment of society and it's growing where oh, their default is to go to the OTA. Um, yeah. It's actually me, I hate to say that, but when I'm traveling, I'll go to the OTA and see what their pricing is. And then I'll go to the proprietary website and see if it's the same. And if it is, then I'll book on the website. But the OTAs are here to stay. I mean, I came out of Marriott and if Marriott feels they need to be on them, you, Mr. Campground owner, need to be on it. Um, and, but Brian, you're right. And there's some pretty creative ways that I've seen that people are driving traffic to their, um, their websites. There's a company out there in the hotel space and I can't remember their name right now, but if you book on the website, they offer you like an Amazon gift card or a free download of an audio book. And so there's some perks that you can offer if they book with you that will help you know, bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah, I see that in a hotel space where they like they'll do an add-on of a wine and cheese thing in your right. room when you check in or whatever. Right. So those things are highly motivating for for consumers. But I think it's so fascinating how simple the concept seems to some of us, and yet, especially since consumers are willing to pay. I myself, I will use an OTA, and I'm happy to pay. I'll cover the, the fees. I'll, I'll pay the fees because it's convenient yeah. for me to go there and see all this inventory listed and and I can see reviews and make my choice right now in minutes. I'll pay the money. Charge me the money. Heck, hide That's it. I don't even know I'm paying the money and I'll still pay the money. <laughs> Very good point. And see, Kara, you are becoming the consumer in the space. You And my husband is... Um, He's 13 years older than me. He's going to kill me for outing his age on this um, podcast. Well, but my husband was, he could be 30 or 35 or whatever. No, he's right? 70. My <laughs> husband's 70 and he defaults to OTAs. He's, he's, I wouldn't call him a techie, but he's like you, Kara. He wants to see the inventory. He wants to see the map. He wants to see the reviews. He wants to see his options. So that's his default. And, and that is growing in this space. So as a management company, it's one of the things we require our um, our parks to put their inventory, at least for now, their roofed accommodations on the OTAs because 
And once they do it, they're like, why haven't I been doing this forever? Because they feel, I mean, Airbnb will fill your cabins. They will, they will. You have good pictures, good descriptions, easy to use. They're going to bring you occupancy that you would have never had before. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the things we demand. And then I think one of the unique things we bring to the space as a third party management company is actually now that I outed his age is actually my husband. My husband is an attorney and he uh, was a federal prosecutor for most of his career. And he had his own law firm in Washington DC. But two years ago, I convinced him to let his younger lawyers run the law firm and to come on with me full time. He is an incredible asset for our clients because unless he has to go to court for you or do some in-depth work, he just comes along with us. There's no additional fee. And he answers questions every day from our GMs regarding evictions, um, ADA compliance, um, you know, uh, governmental code. Um, they want to put in a sidewalk and we don't know if the code allows and the code is in legal lease. Well, my husband can look at that in five minutes and say, hey, yes, you can put the sidewalk in, but it has to be over here. He yeah. has probably saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawsuits for our clients because he puts out the fire before it ever becomes litigious. Right. What a fascinating resource. I mean, that alone, <laughs> the 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 prospect of legal counsel and and support as a business owner was always so daunting because of the associated fees and and costs you're always kind of waiting and hoping nothing goes wrong or or you end up in a scenario where you need that because the the potential is is so great for you know to be really expensive and 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 difficult to plan for those expenses and things like that so i mean to me that alone is worth it <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, just this morning, an email came across my desk. A client is buying a park in the Northeast and the seasonals are there on an agreement and he would like to transition that park to transient. So he sent the agreement to my husband for him to peruse over to say, hey, am I going to have any legal consequences here? And my husband was able to look at it and answer him. In DC, my husband's $750 an hour. For AOS clients, if he's just glancing at your agreement, that's just part of our services. And it's really, in fact, he presented with me for the first time at Florida Arvic this past week. And people just loved the presentation. Um, it was very helpful and it's just free legal advice, which legal advice is expensive. You bet. Three. Mine's 370, I think. In the yeah. That's what I'm saying. So if you have a seasonal agreement that you need someone to look over, you're going to be at least charged $370 for that. And, um, and, he, and he's also, he has a lot of common sense. So he's also just really able to help our GMs, our regional managers, when the regional managers need to evict someone and they don't know what the law is in that state, he's able to drill down on that. And our clients really appreciate that because litigation is expensive. And if we can avoid litigation, um, that's huge. So where do you see just changing tactics for a second, right? Uh, has anything that you're doing at, at AOS or anything that you've seen in the industry, right? You self-admitted you're a data-driven person. Mm -hmm. Has anything shifted over the last year with this new demographic coming into the RV industry? 
It's really interesting because I was at one of our parks in New York last week and I was standing there talking to one of the uh, store people and the check-in desk was right next to me. It was uh, midweek, still in the Northeast, so they didn't have a ton of check-ins that day. Every single person that checked in that day, it was their first trip in their new RV or they were in a rental RV, mm -hmm. every single one. My April financials just came out for my parks. We crushed it. And so it is going to be a banner year for outdoor hospitality. And it's mm -hmm. new folks. I mean, my brother-in-law is my perfect example. He's a patent attorney. And if you know anything about patent attorneys, they make more money than God. He could vacation any way he wished. And during COVID, he rented an Airstream three times and he loved it so much that he just purchased one. Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. So to me, he's an example of the new demographic got into the industry because of COVID, but they're going to keep vacationing this way because they fell in love with it during COVID. So I think you're right. I, like I, we're seeing that across all of our parks too. But is there a shift operationally from a third-party management company to adjust for these guests, either from marketing or from amenities or from uh, whatever? Yeah, absolutely. And the number one thing is is every park we take on, bar none so far, we've beefed up your Wi-Fi because right. they're sophisticated. They're working. I don't care if you have okay Wi-Fi. We beef you up to really good Wi-Fi. The other thing that I blogged about two weeks ago with my parks is making sure now that you have camp host or escort persons on from open to close because these guests were coming in at like 6 p.m. at night after the 4 p.m. people had gotten off. They needed help backing yeah. in, yeah. hooking up, the one lady said, this is our main voyage. They really didn't show us how to work our RV. So from a staffing perspective this year for parks, you need to have people on who can assist these guests. You will make a lifelong friend if you help them have a successful maiden voyage. That's one of the biggest um, shifts that I see that parks will have to adjust to this year. Fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, who? I remember when I ran my very first park, it was 400 sites, all transient, 200 in, 200 out every Saturday. And I mm -hmm. always bonused my staff on different criteria, the most survey comments, um, the, the uh, most golf carts rented. I had all these different criteria for your bonuses. And mm -hmm. the person who always got a bonus every month was the night maintenance man who would hold the flashlight for people who came in after dark and help them mm -hmm. hook up. Yeah bonused all the time. He he was in all the Google reviews. He was in all the Facebook reviews because he took a nervous guest and made them feel at home and they never forgot him. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I have several experiences like that as well. I had some pretty incredible team members that, uh, um, you know, go went above and beyond. Um, and yeah, those make, those make return guests uh, pretty quick. Those, yeah. those, folks turn into folks that come see you every summer or, or whatnot. So, um, so valuable and, and great. Kathleen, do you, can you share like how many parks does AOS run? Mm -hmm. We're about 35 right now. You can't see my map. We have push pins in our 
uh, US map back there of all the parks we have. We have about 35 right now. We have about eight in the queue that will be settling between now and the end of June. Um, so we're really excited about that. One of the things I do every week, and I'm going to Texas after this, um, after this podcast, I do the pre-purchase visits. So my clients will call me and say, I'm kicking the tires at you know X Park in North Dakota. I don't know if I wanna buy it or not. I'm not sure what it will do because the financials are terrible. They pay me to do what I call due diligence audit tours, where I will travel to the parks. I will do the due diligence reports. I will do the financials drill down into the infrastructure. I mean, I pretty much just pick it apart. Then mm -hmm. I do a report that allows them to say, yes, I'm going to move forward, or you know what, this is not gonna be a good fit for me, I'm gonna back off. So that really is what most I mostly do. And then of course my operations person, Rachel, and my incredibly hardworking team um, um, really help onboard our clients and get the management piece up and running. We started doing a little bit of that a couple of years ago, like nothing where we're doing what you're doing, Kathleen, right? We're mm -hmm. not going to properties and all that kind of stuff. But from a holistic marketing standpoint, we do that for uh, a big broker or we did. And then we're kind of pivoting partners right now. Um, but where we would run a deep marketing competitive analysis on like, right. what are people searching for? What are they doing? What is the traffic on your competitors websites? What does it look like? Like all like pages and pages of 45 different things that we put in a Dropbox folder and write a summary for investors. And obviously we can't speak to all the expertise that you would give apart, but from a marketing standpoint, there's a bigger demand for that with all these developers getting into it too. Oh, absolutely, no doubt about it. And and it's very humbling for me because my client is ready to spend $10 million and he's going to do it or not do it based on my audit report. So mm -hmm. um, one of my really good success stories in that is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the Cabana Club Resort um, outside of Orlando, but we were with them from soup to nuts. It's 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 stunning. It's a true five-star home run resort. And we did their land plan, their economics. And I met them at Florida Arvic three years ago. And they said, look, we're blueberry farmers. And we have a big check coming from a big housing developer who wants to buy our land, but we're kicking around doing an RV park. We want you to tell us what to do. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like cool. major money that I'm making a decision right. with them on. So I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to do a performer for you based on what I what I think it would do as an RV park. So we did that. We did a land plan. We presented it to them. Well, they decided, of course, to go with the RV park and they opened uh, January 1. Amazing, just amazing, great park, incredible reviews, um, beautiful layout. Um, and so I never take it lightly that these people have all this money that they're counting on me to advise mm -hmm. them on. Um, I guess I don't get nervous about it because I did that with my boss as a CFO for all those years, but um, I'm honored that do they Do you remember me. the first time it happened to you? Because I do, like for us, like, I mean, I, I was never dealing with like $10 million on marketing, right? because that's a smaller piece of what happens. But the first time I realized that one of our large investment groups, and this is, I don't know, nine, 10 years ago, right? Uh, would come to me and ask for advice. And then as soon as I said, yes, do it, here's a check for $60,000 to spend. Like it's humbling. It's very also, humbling. Like you have to understand that that's my reputation and I'm telling them the truth and I'm giving them the best advice. And and so it's, it's kind of nerve wracking the first time it happens, but then you realize that this is your reputation that you've built and you have to keep doing the best you can. And that's why they trust you. Well, and you well, know, and Brian, 
Go ahead, Kara. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, so in, in lots of cases, it's it's all their assets that they're handing to. Like, like Kathleen right. said, I mean, that's a huge uh, vote of confidence, I think. Um, humbling, I'm sure. Well, I never really get nervous about it because, as I say to a lot of people, I don't know a lot about a lot of things. I'm not an expert on a lot of things, but I'm an expert on this. Right. This yeah. space, I know. And so... Mm -hmm. I'm very confident in my decisions and my guidance to clients because I know this space really well. It's what I've done for 20 years. Um, I'm very careful with dollars. And so I guess I don't really ever get nervous about it because I feel like I am an expert in this field. Now talk to me about, you know, um, a restaurant or, you know, a crafting shop or anything like that. I'm not yeah, going to know yeah. anything. But, but this space, I, I know. That's why I ask your first time, right? Because I don't get nervous anymore either because now I, I yeah, feel the same way you, know you do, it. right? But the very first time it happened, I was a little bit nervous. So. Oh, the first time was yeah. my old boss. He he bought the piece of land and he was going to build single family homes. And then the real estate crash happened. So this is a true story, almost verbatim. He comes to me. I had been with him by that time, 10 years already. And he said, you've camped before, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, I just bought this $10 million piece of land and I can no longer build my single family homes, but it's zoned for a campground here, figure out what to do with it. True story. I found my land planner. I did all the due diligence. I figured out what the consumer would demand in that property. We built it for 21 million. It, re it started making 6 million a year. And four years later, Sun came in and bought it at a $14 million profit. That was pressure. But Jack did that to me all the time. If I would say, oh, I've never done that before, he'd say, that's okay, you'll figure it out. And oh, I always I, did. I like that pressure. I thrive <laughs> I on that stuff. Yeah. So we're sort of in the same space, Brian, where clients really depend on us to drive their revenue and make good decisions for them. And, um, and I know you've been in the space a long time. And so it feels good when you get to the point where they um, feel that you're worthy of that kind of respect and um, trust. But that's one of the reasons we, we keep pushing, right? Sure. Like you were talking about you pushing the software people. That's one of the things we do like every day. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we just hired a developer to integrate with a couple of reservation systems that pulled their data. You know, we were talking about Google Tag Manager, right? And the transactions. Mm -hmm. Right. We, we're now pulling their data into a CRM so that we can segment based on accommodation and check-in type and automate emails based on all that kind of segmented data. Yeah. And so we can see the lifetime value of a customer and all that kind of stuff. So see that stuff is what these high-end clients are thriving on. It's what they're demanding from us. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I have a call today with a group, um, and I've been working with them for a while. I really like them. They're, they're bringing me four parks all at once, of course, because that's what my clients do to me. Um, they have $700 million to invest in the space. And mm -hmm. I have another one that came in on Friday to the office. They have $500 million to invest in the space. That money is rolling in and they demand the things that you and I are providing to them that they're not going to get out of the canned software. And the best thing the software providers can do is understand that and, and start really aggressively getting ahead of that curve because whoever does provide the data and the reporting that's required, they will quickly with these investors rise to the top of the heap. 
Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, it's like, we still pick up individual parks once in a while, but not at the volume we use. We were like five, six years ago. Now we're now we've got like probably, I don't know, 10, 15 management groups or investment or investors that we're working with. And they just keep adding parks or adding services or scaling up, or, you know, we launch a new service and they ask for something new. And so that's what it's been. And it's accelerated obviously, as you know, through COVID. Oh, absolutely. We were growing rapidly in the years prior to COVID. COVID sent, sent everyone in the industry into the stratosphere. I mean, it's yeah. just, and Brian, that speaks to how well you do your job. I mean, if you weren't doing your job well, that wouldn't be happening. So kudos to you because when you do a good job and the clients see that and your reputation um, precedes you, you know, that means a lot. And apparently, um, and I know, because I know you from the industry, people think very highly of you. So um, congratulations to you for doing such a great job in that space. Well, same to you, Kathleen. I mean, I'm, I'm a humble guy. There's other people who do things that I do too, but we're just trying to push the envelope as best we can. Like, right. And do the best a, for your clients. Just do the best for your clients. We're working with an association now who I can't disclose uh, yet, but we're working with an association now on marketing automation. We're pulling all that kind of data and trying to personalize their website. Uh, like we're collecting like how, when did you start watching a video? When did you finish watching the video? And then when that's done, we'll send you an email and we'll issue you a certificate for completing a course and like all kinds of things that you can do. So, you know, it's all a little big brotherish to me, but it's where we are. So we just roll with it. You know, it is the world we live in. And uh, and and I'm excited about it, quite frankly. And I'm really excited when our COVID restrictions lift and uh, those of us in the U.S. can start traveling again to Canada and to the U.K. and to all these emerging markets. Um, Sarah Riley um, is the lead glamping podcaster in the U.K. and I've been on her show and she and I work closely together and they're just itching for us to get over there to the U.K. and um, you know, Brian, that might be something when it is open and they have the show, I reach out to you and let you know. And getting up there to see you guys care and the amazing people we've talked to from Canada. I mean, it would just be an honor to be able to finally get across some borders and work with uh, international clients. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. We have we have some international plans that are uh, in the works too. So, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I know Sarah. I mean, I don't know her that well, as well as you do maybe, but she talked to the Glamping Summit virtually and I yeah, think we approached did. her for the Canada thing and she just was busy or something. I can't remember what was going on there. But uh, she's a great uh, resource. And uh, yeah, the, good thing about, um, the good thing about the good thing about Puerto Rico is um, we can travel there without a passport. So uh, Americans are discovering that um, the beauty of Puerto Rico and there's some pretty exciting glamping opportunities coming there. So uh, it's exciting to see what's going on in the space. I love working with these new investors, whether they be investor groups or or Wall Street guys. Um, I'm never really intimidated by that because it's just what I did with um, my yeah. other company for so long that mm -hmm. it's just an honor to work with business savvy people who aren't going to yell at me for raising their rate. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure that the demographic is very interesting. That these is it changing, Kara, uh, in Canada? Are investors coming into the space in Canada? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a ton of appetite for that here. Um, I think, you know, obviously we still have lots of, you know, family owned and operated uh, parks here, but uh, I definitely, I'm starting to see requests from investor groups for association membership and some of them don't even own parks yet. They just want to start getting more involved with the industry and, and see where things go. Um, 
I, I get calls pretty regularly from, you know, groups of four or five individuals who are looking to buy an RV park and, and are looking for services like you offer. So um, yeah, there's some different interesting stuff happening that we really haven't seen up here before. We're not, oh, not near as much. Mm -hmm. Well, here's, I know we're running short on time, but here's what I always say to my clients. Look, I started in this industry back in 2003. I've been through a severe recession. I've been through high gas prices, and now I've been through a global pandemic. I would never say recession proof, but it's pretty darn recession resistant. Yeah. In yeah. all of those crises, we found a way to not only survive, but thrive. During high gas prices, we turned storage into a huge moneymaker because they saved gas by not towing and we had their unit. So we were getting storage income, site night revenue, and we would valet you in and out at a fee. So we were getting revenue three ways during what should have been a crisis. So there's always many ways to skin the cat. And, and I haven't found anything yet that is dinged us and knock on wood, you know, we keep rolling along. Yeah, I mean, look toward the future, right? Like, in, I'm, I'm still young, Kathleen. I don't know how old you are. Uh, 40, <laughs> 50, 40, 45, something like that. Uh, but I'm still young. I'm looking forward to like the, I want to do the marketing for the first campground on Mars. Like, I feel like that's coming within 30 years, maybe. You and my son, he's a huge Elon Musk fan. So he's trying to get me to go to Mars with him. And when I looked at it, it was a, what, a three-day trip or a five-day trip. I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Well, I really appreciate you guys having me. Kara, it's always nice to see you. I know I got to meet you during the Canadian conference and it was a real pleasure. And uh, we haven't had much interaction since then. So I was thrilled to know you were going to be on. And of course, Brian, I see him on all the... Uh, podcast and and the Facebooks and the blogs and uh, hope to see him here on the road sometime soon as we're all getting back to sort of normal life here in the U.S. Hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Can't all wait right. to start seeing everybody in person, but uh, really appreciate your time today. I know you're so busy um, and I look forward to the next time we can connect. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate the invite. Well, it's Kara too. Kara co-hosts it with me. So yeah. That's true. Well, I just thanked her. So I wanted to thank you too, right, both well. individually. So thank you both. And Brian, um, I'm assuming I can get a link to put on my blog so I can drive people to, uh, yeah, to the podcast. Yeah, we'll have it up on, we have a website, mcfiresidechats.com. So it'll be up there uh, as soon as I get a chance to do it. So Great. Thank you both so much. Have a great week. You too. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Bye. -bye. Bye.